the Adonis Audio Experience. Welcome everyone on this beautiful Saturday. It's a little colder than usual. I am joined by Jose Manuel. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You're not lying. It's cold, man. For May, I can't believe this. Yeah, what, man. Uh, it is unbelievable. And, you know, we got a lot to get into, so we're just going to dive right into it. As you know, we've been really watching and just been consumed into the last dance episodes Last week, we had, uh, last Sunday rather, episodes five and six, which we'll get into. Uh, just a brief overview of it. Obviously, it starts with the classic Fuji song just playing in the background. And then you see the garden, the mecca of basketball just being represented. And then that classic game uh, that uh, Michael Jordan played uh, for the All-Star game. Obviously, they get into the relationship with Spike Lee and how they just uh, really made Michael into a media mogul. And and Spike has a a lot to do with that. And then we transition into mentoring Kobe Bryant. Um, Obviously, uh, that year, the championship against Clyde Drexler. Um, Talk about the legendary USA uh, game that happened in 1992 when uh, Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan just kind of went at it with their teams and and Jordan became the official alpha. Uh, And then obviously uh, Isaiah Thomas wasn't in that game. And we touched a little bit about that, but we we may get back into that. Um, No, definitely. Yeah. And then... And then episode six, you know, where Michael is more introspective, where he kind of sheds some light into his personal point of view and his true feelings of what it's like to be Mike. Um, And then you you see some of the more personable stuff about Mike, where he's playing coins uh, with, with. with, with the security guys yeah and uh and then you know and then playing cards with the guys on, on the trips uh with his teammates and then obviously the book the jordan rules that comes out the trip to atlantic city and that legendary playoff battle with the new york knicks in 1993 and then obviously uh we talked a little bit about uh that game to dunk uh from john starks and uh and then that same year facing the Phoenix Suns and Charles Barkley. And then all of a sudden Jordan's just tired of the fame and everything else. And then we just, uh, we just close it out. So, you know, there's a lot going on in there, but I definitely want to dig into it right from the top. I mean, how did you feel, uh, you know, about this series, just getting into it with Jordan and the all-star game and all that kind of stuff in between? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was kind of it was kind of bittersweet to watch the beginning episode five because, you know, you got those Kobe interviews, you know, that he probably just did yeah. in the last few yeah. months and, you know, the tragic you know, the tragic ending of Kobe. Yeah. But uh, you know, I mean it was cool to see, it was nice to see those little those the, those behind the scenes those behind the scenes interviews in the uh, in the locker room. Yeah. When he's just sitting there talking to uh talking to Tim Hardaway. And, you know, about, you know, they called him that little Laker boy. You know, how funny was that? And, <laughs> and he was like, you know, he's like, he's like, that kid just keeps going one on one. He doesn't stop, you know. And oh, yeah. I think Jordan, I think Jordan 
at, at, at that young of an age already saw the potential in him. And I think that's what he saw the probably, greatness. Yeah. And Kobe. Yeah, he saw the greatness. And that's what really, I think that's what really started yeah. and um, sparked that, 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 you know, that friendship with them. Cause you know, from the, from the get go, he was, you know, way more open with him than you could imagine. He ever was with any of his contemporaries. Yeah. You know, yeah. He, and you know what? You could see uh, that, that Jordan was mentoring him. And it's funny how even as a kid, when I would watch Kobe and he first came in, there was a lot of promise to Kobe, but, but you didn't hear a lot about Jordan's mentorship. But now that you see the interviews and, and like you mentioned, uh, just the stories behind it, you know, you could see Jordan giving him pointers, even in that all-star game where Jordan kind of puts his leg uh, between uh, uh, Kobe's legs, and then he, he and then he rests his left hand on Kobe's hip. You could tell that he's almost telling him how to position himself uh, with with a with as a defender because a little bit further down in that sequence, or maybe this was an entirely different game. Kobe ends yeah. up doing that to him. And, you know, and you start to see some of the nuance and just how that mentor kind of relationship was developing between the two. No, yeah, yeah. And that was so cool. That was actually the first All-Star game I remember watching. Yep. You know, and I love that they actually all wore their own uniforms. I like that look. I actually wish they kind of went back to that. I like you that know, like too. They, like they do in baseball. You know, yep. you get to see Garnett and Duncan. And it was just, you know, it was... It was really cool. At eight years old, I didn't. I wasn't really sitting there knowing that that was going to be the last game Jordan was going to play. I just thought yeah. it was just another All Star game, for sure. But you know, now understanding it, like it was, uh, was so, you know. And he would he would come back. He would come back and play another All Star game, but we didn't know that at the time, for sure. You yeah. know, and that was really something really neat to watch. Yeah, you know, and and what what this episode also talks about is just how Jordan is just a a mogul. He's just an icon. He's bigger than life. It's like it's like they they got this gem of a person with this brilliant smile and and his determination and will to win, and and they were able to to create this big marketing uh, campaign around him where you had this Gatorade commercial, like I want to be like Mike. And, you know, I know Mike claims that he he's not political. Uh, he just want to be a basketball player. That's always been like yeah. his stance. But that is a little political when you're making a commercial with all these kids and, the, you know, this commercial doesn't necessarily represent all their neighborhoods of the people who idolize him as players. So all these players that came up to, through the ranks, they're, they're not from those same neighborhoods that this Gatorade commercial was, was filmed as. You know what I mean? So in my head, I'm like, you know what? It did kind of feel like a political statement from Jordan's standpoint and just doing all this like clean, perfect, smiling, everything. You know, I want to be like Mike. And, and you know, but... Hey, listen, at the time, it was just trying to create this image for him. And, you know, whether he was mindful of it or not, or just the people who were handling this, that, that was the direction that they were going to. I did feel that it did represent some type of political message behind it and how he was going to portray himself. And I don't know if you kind of got into that, too. I mean, they talk about the Senate race in North Carolina. You know, yeah, I thought yeah. he could have, he definitely could, you know, if he felt it in his heart, do more. I don't, you know, he, I mean, he, I mean, he obviously, 
he obviously wanted to make it like you know painstakingly obvious that you know i am abstaining from anything you know he did say that he made a contribution to the gentleman's mr uh senator gant yep um uh, uh his campaign but you know he would not endorse him publicly that you know it, it could have it could have helped i mean you know athletes and celebrities do that all the time now you know and that very famous line that republican bu republicans buy shoes too yeah that he not that he now says he basically said as a joke and he didn't know it was gonna like you know live in infamy because that was you know i i've, I've heard that line a million times yeah yeah and he, then you know he definitely could have done more it, yeah, and and you have Obama kind of, uh, you know, putting a, like like a layer of some type of perspective into it, where he talks about the difficulties and wanting to to just appease, you know, everybody and every audience. And there's times where you can't get into the thick of the battles because there there's other things that that you need to accomplish before you get to that point. Um, so I, I think Obama, I forget exactly how he phrased it, but he did shed some light on the pressures that do exist to not get too controversial into certain issues. So, you know, it is what it is. I get it. You know, Jordan at the time, his energy was just to play basketball. So, you know, we'll yeah. leave it at that. I was listening to an interview with Charles Barkley this week about the same thing. And he's like, you know, he's like, listen, we're basketball players. And he's like, you know, He's like, people come to you, they want to be entertained. You know, they don't, you know, they can't, you know, they don't want to hear a political statement every day. I think you really have to pick your spots. Yeah. You know, I think he was kind of almost defending Jordan at that point because it's true. Some people, you know, a lot of people don't like it when you get involved in, in something else. Like that's not your, you know, you know, because the basketball court, this is for everybody. And then, you know, yeah. it's the same as if you go to a concert and then they start pushing their agenda on you. Like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here. I'm, we're just here for the concert, you know. Republican and Democrat alike. What? Yeah, no, it it's it's one hundred percent true, and you know I feel and a good friend of mine's uh you know reached out and shed some uh shed some light on this whole documentary as well in the sense that you know Jordan is producing this, uh, Jumpman twenty three is producing this, so there it's gonna be um pretty you know the the, the narrative is gonna bend pro Jordan no matter what. Um, oh, of course. But one of the things that I did want to get into was that all-star game where Jordan was frozen out because it they don't talk about it at all one bit when Jordan got frozen out of the all-star game um, in the 80s. And um, it did impact the 1992 Olympic team when Isaiah did not get selected into the all-star game. Now, you know... Yes, Isaiah didn't get along with half the team in the All-Star game. So it's like him being kind of blackballed and not invited, even though he was qualified. You know, we talked about this in the last episode, but one of the things that I feel like we could have dug into a little bit deeper, which we're going to do right now, is that, you know, Jordan was iced out by people on his own team of the All-Star game in 1986, I believe. And yes. And, and also people on the opposing team. So you had people like Isaiah Thomas and George Gervin and Magic Johnson who all conspired against Michael Jordan in that All-Star game where Jordan probably scored 11 points, but he didn't score any points when Isaiah was on the court or when Gervin and Magic Johnson went on the court. And you know what? Knowing Jordan, the alpha male that he is, you know that he held a grudge 
And you know that even though Isaiah didn't get along with a lot of those guys in that 1992 dream team, you know that Jordan, he sh I think he should just at least man up and say, listen, I didn't like the guy. And yeah, I didn't want him on the team. Instead of taking this thing, this approach and saying, oh, I didn't mention anything about him not being on the team. You know, those conversations weren't had because Jordan, I don't think has ever forgotten being iced out of that all-star game. No, definitely. I mean, in the documentary, finally in episode five, he admits to still hating Isaiah Thomas. Says, I True. respect him as a basketball player, calls him the second greatest point guard of all time, and then says, I still can't stand him. Fine, just be real. That's what we want. Now, you know, that whole icing in the All-Star game, like, I don't know if that was like, if that was like a, like a rookie hazing thing. I must, I, I think that was his first All-Star game. Yeah. Or I don't know if it was like, if it was yeah. like a jealousy thing, like, like this kid's on a team that hasn't won anything. And, uh, you know, he's getting all this publicity. He's only, you know, he's only in the league a couple of years. That, that jealousy thing does exist amongst yeah. that, you know, because he was already, he was already starting to really take off with his, yeah. with his Nike and, and, and all that. And, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it does seem like Isaiah Thomas is paying the brunt for everything else because he's buddy buddy with everybody else, or he at least, yeah, or he's at least neutral with them. Like, I don't know if he has any relationship with Bird or anything, but. Yeah, and, you know. and, and that's and that's my point is that Jordan is the biggest dog in the room. He could have he could have made that relationship a little bit better, but you know, then again, the other side of it, and there's always two sides of it. Isaiah is just at times a bad guy. He had his issues with the Pistons and, and the style that they played. We got into that, so you know, I'll leave it where it is. But also, what about the stuff that happened with him at the Garden? You know what I mean? In the in the two thousands, where he had those harassment suits against him, uh, when Isaiah was a coach and then executive and and all that kind of stuff, and then they settled out of court for God knows how much money. Um, you know, I don't have the exact amount in front of me, but yeah, it was a, it was it was in the millions, I believe. I remember it. Yeah. So you know, it, it just kind of shows you. You know, Isaiah is not the cleanest guy either, so it's hard to defend him. But I just wish the documentary though would give us some more juice into the stuff that we don't know. And that's that's my only point is that you know what we don't have to get too dark, but at least shed some light into some of the things that really separate s some of these you know relationships. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I mean, he could just like just straight up tell me you kept him off the dream team, and then we can go from there, exactly. you know. And and exactly. how deep you might want to get into the gambling too, you know. We'd like to hear that too, and and they gave us a decent amount, but yeah, yeah. You know. And you know, moving along with that dream team, I mean, I you know, it was just amazing because I felt that it was so important for Jordan to know that he's the greatest that he would do it at any cost. And that dream team, you know, to have Larry Bird and Magic Johnson say, listen, there's a new sheriff in town. There's a new alpha. And that is Michael Jordan. That was that was a moment for Jordan to really relish in because Jordan finally wanted to have that monkey off his back of being beneath uh, the people who came before him and in Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. And after winning two championships, you know, and beating the, the Portland Trailblazers and and how, you know, Michael Jordan laid a whooping on Clyde Drexler and not, you know, it's so crazy. People talk about that series, but people don't realize that 
The only thing that separated Michael Jordan and Clyde Drexler statistically was the fact that Jordan was averaging 31 a game and Clyde Drexler was averaging 25 a game. They almost have the identical amount of assists, the identical amount of rebounds, and Jordan might have like 0.5 more steals than him, you know, but yeah. they were both averaging two steals a game. So it's crazy how identical the, their numbers were that season. People started to compare them and it pissed Jordan off that he went off on the Blazers because he was just like, listen, Clyde Drexler is a formidable, formidable opponent, but at that time, I already won a championship. I've been scoring champion for years. I just felt that he wasn't in my league. And that's why I went out after him every single night. And that's just Jordan being that insane, crazy alpha. Yeah. And how great was that? That interview, not that, uh, that interview with Magic. And he's talking about we're at Michael's house playing, playing cards before game one. And he's just like, I'm going to give it to this guy tomorrow. He's like, <laughs> he's, like, he's like, they're comparing him to me. He's like, just see what happens tomorrow. And he goes out. And at the time, that was a huge deal. He nails he knows four threes, which is crazy that, that that was a record then. He knows four threes in yeah. the first half. That's yeah. the the yeah. famous shrug game. Yep. You know. And they beat and they beat Portland in six, but that series was never even as close as that. You yeah. know. They yeah. just for some reason they they I think they beat almost most of their series go six in the finals. Yeah. No, and you know, so episode five, man, just gave us a lot. Um episode six gave us more and into that introspective side of Jordan. Um, you know, obviously that book, The Jordan Rules, comes out that was pretty controversial. Um, you know, we kind of went to some of the dark sides of Jordan and we talked about the Atlantic City trip, uh, you know, Michael Jordan's gambling problems and 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 the issues with uh, Slim Bowler and the money that um, Michael Jordan owed him and, and some court case that he ended up confessing that, you know, he owed money, money to this guy who was, I guess, a booster or what, or what have you. And um, yeah, a hustler. Yeah. Yeah. A hustler. And then, you know. We get into the the legendary battle of what really made 90s basketball, which was when Jordan faced the Knicks and the Knicks were true to form, kind of like the modern day Pistons. Um, and they they battled it out in that that 93 series um, where, you know, game one, game two comes and Jordan's like he gets his butt whooped, man. He gets his butt whooped in those two games against the Knicks. And, you know, he does come back and responds in game three and then game four, as we know. He ends up dropping like 56 points. But I'll tell you what, man, those were absolute battles, man, between the Knicks and the Bulls. And it was just absolutely legendary, man. I don't know if you had a chance to catch up with those, but it I just had this feeling of nostalgia just watching those games again. It was driving me nuts. Yeah. You know, because I've always heard about that series. I've always heard about the 93 series. They call it. People around here call it the Charles Smith Memorial, I guess, because of the end of game five, there, you know, and I never knew about it. I never got it. All I really knew, I just knew like the Starks. I just knew about the Starks dunk, yep. you know, like and and, you know, I never knew that they I never knew that they were up two two games to none on that on that Bulls team yeah. on a two time defending champ. Yep. Like they must have really been starting to taste it. 
And then yep. even game three, Mike doesn't have a great game in game three. Game three is Pippen's game, you know, and they win pretty comfortably. Yeah. And then game four, he goes crazy. And that series, that series is game five. You know, when he go, you know, they're down one and, and uh, Charles Smith goes up for, th- for three, for three layups. And you, yep. I mean, you could only, I mean, you had to imagine the whistle was going to blow one time. You were going to get a foul call there. And there was still time left. You don't know what could have happened at the other end. But once they lose that game, you just know they're not winning game six. Yeah. But that's, I mean, those, those are classic, classic battles and probably the best shot that the Knicks had at Jordan. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that, that was you know, the year. That, that, that was, was the, the year. year. I do want to get into the modern day and 90s basketball just because watching the 90s ball again, it, it just it, it started giving me a certain feeling. And then obviously watching uh, the LeBron James era, how could you not think about, you know, the two? Because now you get to see 23 in the 90s uh, kind of like brand new you have new eyes because you're watching all this coverage all this footage that's coming out and then obviously we're living in the present state of the LeBron James era um there's so many comparisons uh between the two as far as their tenacity the willingness to win and and the work ethic and all that kind of stuff but I did want to talk a little bit about just you know how the how the two uh you know, kind of go, go up against each other, right? Like, like is nineties ball better than, than the two thousands or is the two thousands just a better version? Cause there's more athletes and, you know, in, in the nineties, it was just more about physicality versus to, you know, can I jump off of out of a gym? You know what I mean? Preference wise, you know, I would maybe actually, even as a younger person prefer the nineties game, yeah. but you know, you can't, I can't turn around and just say it's better, you know. I mean, the game evolves. Every game evolves when they, you know, as they as they manipulate rules for more offense because that's what yeah. every game ever does, yeah. you know. So True. you know, I mean, it, it was it was it was something to really remember. That's what I really like about this documentary. I, you know, I'm remembering fondly the you know the the great the, the great you know Nick Heat battles, even though they're not showing that. But these are the same years. Yeah. So like the Nick know, Heat just, battles were huge. The Nick Heat battles, the Nick the Nick uh, the Nick Pacer battles. Nick Pacer so, battles. I, mean, I hate Reggie Miller. Seriously. You know, Reggie, the great Reggie Miller. But you yeah. know, I, I would still say I, I mean I would still say that the game the game is in a good place today. Now, and, you know, I've become I've become a really, you know, big admirer of LeBron's watching watching this. How does this make you feel about LeBron now watching all this Jordan coverage? You know, I, I think LeBron's going to get very close and, you know, have a real good shot at, you know, I mean, it's I mean, obviously, it's just the public opinion. But I think he could he could be considered better than Michael at one point, you know, at, at some point he he's done. He's done some amazing things, you know. To start off, Jordan never beat a team as good as that Golden State team. You know, they weren't there. You can't manufacture an opponent, but you know, you know, to give him that. Now, now LeBron has a very has a very poor record in the finals, which is what everybody likes to go to. Yeah, but we've had that discussion. You know, if you don't win it, you don't win it. I don't understand the obsession with just the finals record. You yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Um, but I go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. So listen. Um, no, I listen. I'm with that. The, the two things where I am conflicted is that that Golden State Warrior team, the from a physicality standpoint, I don't think that they, they got the juice. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, now watching all this again, I watched the 93 uh, 
series where uh, game four, actually, where the Knicks were playing against uh, the Bulls. And, you know, they played full court press. The Bulls did from the first quarter. So from the first quarter to the last quarter, they played a full court trap at half court as well. Press on the Knicks. And to do that for 48 minutes, it takes a certain will and conditioning to make that happen, regardless of how you feel about the athletes between errors, just to be able to do that alone. And honestly, when you got Steph Curry shooting threes from half court, it's because there is no defender from a full court or half court trap standpoint. It's just him walking up to the court and he gets to half court, chugs a three. And yeah, he's talented in doing that, but he's never had any pressure getting up to that. That was my first take. But this is not really uh, taking anything away from the Golden State Warriors because they did achieve that with the competition that was in front of them. But it's just that much more harder. And what I really was trying to compare it to was the 2013 series that I saw with the Miami Heat and the Spurs. I started watching that and I'm just like, all right, let me check this out. Let's see what's up. And in watching it, honestly, this is an elimination game for the Heat. This is game four. The Heat were down or game five, something like that. They were down 3-1. And uh, in 2013, and in that entire game, the Heat not once in that entire game, up until the, the minutes in the fourth quarter, not once throughout that game did they even do a half court press. And not only that, watching LeBron James in that series, it was a little disheartening because he did not want to defend the best player with the type of pressure and tenacity that was needed in order to stop at Kawhi Leonard. And what I mean by that is simply this. When Kawhi defended LeBron, Kawhi didn't need anybody else. Kawhi was all over LeBron, and the only way LeBron got free was off of a pick. That was it. Yeah. And if you watch the game again, for the for those of you listening, watch that 2013 game again. You'll be surprised how LeBron is just bottlenecked. He cannot move left or right unless he gets a pick to free himself up. But that was not the case on the opposite. LeBron was playing everybody at the top of the key, meaning that he wasn't rushing up past the three-point line to defend you up close because he didn't want you to blow by him. And then when someone would set a pick from the Spurs while they were on offense against LeBron, Instead of LeBron crashing against the pick, what he did was he laid off of it and played underneath the pick every single time. And dared him to shoot. And dared him to shoot. And that's my point, is that if you look at that 93 Bulls defense, it was suffocating. You were going to be bruised and banged up. Look at Doc Rivers. I'm surprised Doc Rivers made it alive out of that game because the amount of pressure and forget setting a pick if they're setting a pick they're gonna crash right into that pick they're not laying underneath 
They're laying over the top. They're daring you to be physical. And that to me was the biggest difference between the defensive tenacities in the two errors. I just felt that the players just lay off of each other way too much. And, and those are some of the lessons that that I kind of started really taking in into how the game is played today to com- compare it to then. You know, I have to agree with you there. They definitely they definitely do play a little bit more a little bit more lax defense. You know, I don't know if LeBron is trying to save some energy because he's got to do so much more on the other side, you know, and yeah. kind of picks his spots. Like we talked about that series and Ray yeah. Allen Bale's a matter of that series. They should have lost that series. Yeah. But, yeah. You know, Ray when, Ray. When, when, yeah. When everybody, when anybody in San Antonio got hot, that's when they switched him onto them because Parker was killing them in that series because Marlo Chalmers could not handle him. So he would have to go get Parker for a little bit and then go get Ginobili for a little bit and then, yeah. you know, go get, yeah. He'll get uh, a young Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but he definitely couldn't do it with the same, you know, with the same amount of you know tenacity that was going on in 93. Yeah, and, and you know, they had Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, Olympians, you know. and But but again, you know, those are the biggest things that stand out. And I get the LeBron argument. LeBron, uh, LeBron has been to eight straight finals. LeBron has brought championships to the Miami Heat. LeBron has brought championships to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who who was a footnote in basketball till LeBron got there. No one gave a shit about the Cavaliers. Get that? Um, I also did some looking into the numbers. As far as most 30-point playoff games, who do you think has more, LeBron or Jordan? I would say Jordan may, probably still has a little more. But honestly, yeah. I mean, LeBron's already played more than him. Yeah. So surprisingly... LeBron has the edge. Well, he's played more nope. games naturally, right? So 110 versus to like 109 as of from when we I, I saw this. Um, now, in the finals, who has a higher scoring, LeBron or Jordan? In the finals? Yeah. I'm still going to say, I'm still going to say, uh, I'm still going to say a Jordan. I'm still going to say Jordan has yeah. higher. Yeah, Jordan's at 33. LeBron's at 28. Okay, okay. Close now, there. As far as most jerseys sold, LeBron or Jordan? You know, I'm going to just say Jordan. He's got more years of being relevant, you know, because people are That's still buying point. Jordan jerseys. That's a good you know? point. Those, yeah. There's no, there's no expiration dates on those. Like his shoes, like they're still buying them. Like yeah. You know? yeah. The brand is still alive and well. The brand is still alive. Yeah. So it is Jordan. And believe it or not, Kobe is ahead of LeBron. And and clearly, what happened recently with Kobe's death, I mean, I'm devastated by it. Um, but it, he was leading before his death. And obviously, after his death, he's going to be leading. But Jordan, Jordan and Kobe are ahead of LeBron, and LeBron is third on jersey sales. Um, now, they did a poll on players. Um they actually did a, a national poll. Now, it's hard to really source where these polls come from, but between LeBron and Jordan, who would you say that the national poll voted with of who's better? Who's the GOAT? It was the GOAT poll. Uh, On jo- active players? Jordan or LeBron? As far as... This- it, 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 was, it, was, it was actually a national poll that they, um, that they took on average citizens of... Okay. Who the goat is 
And then after they took that poll of selecting who who's the GOAT, LeBron or Jordan, then the players chimed in and they gave their opinion on who's the GOAT, LeBron or Jordan. Now let's start with the with the citizens. Who do you think from us on the on the ground level, who who do you think we would have selected? LeBron or Jordan? You know, even though, you know, if you're a little younger, I think you probably lean the lean LeBron, but you know, there's enough of us who have our fathers, you know, yeah. hammering into our heads how great Jordan was and to not be disrespectful. <laughs> I will say with the average, you know, with the, the national poll that Jordan probably still won that one. Yeah, yeah. Jordan won it by sixty six percent. LeBron got eleven percent. And amongst the players, they did agree that Jordan is the GOAT. And in watching Allen Iverson, man, Allen Iverson just articulates it so well and so passionately when he says that he wanted to be like Mike. He just flat out says it. I idolized Michael Jordan. And Kobe, obviously in the documentary, he says, listen, those five rings, there is no Kobe Bryant and five rings without Michael Jordan, because what you get from me is from him. And to me, that that was huge. Um, but yeah, that was so well said. That was you know the, you know the 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 mentoring and, and the development. Yeah. And that's you know yeah. That, that's really that was really neat to see. Yeah, no, that that was awesome. But you know what? There are some intangibles or some measurable statistics that I think paint a better picture of the LeBron and Jordan comparisons because. You know, at the end of the day, you have to look at the numbers within the numbers. We are talking about the greatest of all time. So when you're talking about the greatest of all time, you do have to get very, how do you say it? There's parts where it's very subjective, where it's like the numbers are the numbers, right? Yeah. And the achievements are the achievements. And then there's objectivity within that. And... That's where it gets so hard because you're really judging against perfection. You know, there is no right answer. Um, However, there can be a wrong answer, um, especially when you're comparing two legends. Um, And that's what makes this debate so difficult. And at the end of the day, LeBron's probably going to lead the league in every statistical category because his longevity. Yeah, he's just going to play forever. Yeah. Yeah. So I give him that. But... Is that how you truly measure greatness, uh, just truly based on longevity? I think that is a lot more nuanced than that. So one of the things that I looked into and just doing a deeper dive, when it comes to all defense, who do you think is more dominant or who's had more accolades when it comes to all defense? That means that to win all defense in the NBA, there's only one selection. So yeah, winning all defense is actually better than going to the all-star game because there's only yeah, it's, one it's selection. Only, it's only five. Yeah. It's only five guys. One guy in each position. If I remember correctly, I think Jordan does have a defensive player of the year award. I don't think LeBron has one. And Jordan was at least a nine time first team defense. Yeah. Yeah. That spot now, on. I would say, I would say Jordan's probably got more. So more, more defensive uh, accolades despite playing a lot less. All defense. As you mentioned, Jordan's nine-time all-defense, one of one. He is the all-defensive guy nine times. LeBron, however, six times all-defense. 
in a position that doesn't have a lot of other small forwards that are more dominant than him. So to have six times all defense, it just shows the defensive effort that that's, that's, that's all I'm going with that. Now he's probably losing that out. He's probably losing that out to Kawhi a bunch of times now too. Well, well, yeah, exactly. Those six time all defense happened in his prime years. Uh, He's not going to be all defense that we, I see in the foreseeable future um, scoring champion. Now, clearly we know who the scoring champion is. It's Michael Jordan. He was yeah. a 10 time scoring champion. How many times yeah, do you think I, LeBron was a scoring champion? I believe LeBron only did it once. I believe he only that, did it once. You're, he, you're spot on. He did it one time in the last couple of years. In one of the Cleveland years in the, in the yeah. second part of the Cleveland. Yeah. Yeah. I, and then, Obviously, rings. We know Jordan's got six rings. He's six for six. LeBron's got three rings. He's three for eight. Um, You mentioned Defensive Player of the Year, and Jordan has one of those. He won the Defensive Player of the Year in 1988. LeBron has none from a Defensive Player of the Year standpoint. He He has not won that award, and he said that that's been one of his goals, is to win that. Now, with that said... That 88 season is probably the greatest season that any player has ever had ever in, in, in basketball. And that could be argued, you know, there's Wilt Chamberlain. There's We can get into the weeds with this. But with that said, Jordan won Defensive Player of the Year. He won the scoring title. He won the MVP. And he won the All-Star Game MVP. And he won the slam dunk competition. So, yeah. you know... To win the scoring title and to win defensive player of the year in the same season, that effort is unmatched. You you can't, that's where it gets objective because how do you measure the effort that Jordan put compared to the effort that LeBron's putting when you see that? No, I got you. I definitely got you. And I just wanted to veer it one way up. You know, because, yeah, LeBron's never had that, that, you know, all those accolades in one year. But, you know, one thing, too, like, LeBron, ha- LeBron has too many bad moments. Like, that that 2011 finals when they lose to Dallas, you can't lose that series, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're, they're huge favorites, and, you know, all due respect to Dirk Nowitzki, they had no business winning that series. Yeah, and losing, LeBron, losing LeBron, to Dirk, you can't imagine yeah. Jordan losing to Dirk. Yeah, well, Dirk with no help, you know, if Dirk's got another guy, I mean, because Dirk's the second best player in that series, but, you know, he's by himself. I mean, he's got an old Jason kid, yeah. you know, he's just yeah. got grinders on that team yeah. after after him. And, you know, I mean, LeBron had like eight points in game four of that finals. Like, you know, he, he so that's too much of a black mark. And, you know, people really, they really count going to the finals and losing. They really hold that against you. And he made the mistake, and Jordan never made this mistake, but LeBron made the mistake of getting there too early and then, and then, and, and getting swept, you know, yeah, because, you know, yeah, he, go, yeah, he, yeah. he takes a bunch of kids to, to the finals. They lose to the Spurs. You know, they had no business being there. They should have lost to Detroit that year. And then it would have been, and then it would have been, uh, remarked as a great year instead. Yeah. Just, just a couple of things. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with that. The, the other thing is that he, this to me was the most telling and here's why. Who would you say had a more physical toll on his body throughout his career? LeBron 
or Jordan? I mean, in regards to taking abuse and something like that, you know, I, w- I would have to probably say Jordan. I okay. would have to say Jordan. Okay. So in, in understanding that, Jordan played 82 games a full season nine times in his career. Yeah. How many times you think LeBron James has played 82 games? He did it once. He did it once. And he did it on purpose. He did it to just say so nobody could say it anymore. And, you know, because he yes. loves the rest. Yes. And 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 that's my point is that in a game that's clearly less physical, there's more flopping than ever before. Like, honestly, watch that 2013 series again, because when you watch the level of physicality now, there is no physicality. So this whole thing that LeBron has to take everybody's punches is a little bit misleading. It is because the physical nature of it is just non-existent. They're ticky-tack fouls. They really are. And this is not me being objective. This is me just seeing it as clear as day. And once you watch those 93 games, 94 games and whatever, and then you watch the most recent ones, you're going to realize and see with new eyes that, you know what? Those fouls are not fouls like that. No way. Oh, no. I mean, LeBron never had to deal with, you know, somebody like Lambeer or Mohorn, you know, kicking your ass, putting (laughs) their elbow, putting their elbow through your rib cage, you know, and it was and it was too fat. It was two shots. Go to the line. Like, you know, there's not going to be no 15 minute review and we're not throwing out, you know, Rick Mohorn, you know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so when you take when you when you when you take it all into consideration, the scoring champions, the defensive prowess, the the durability. Jordan wins in every single category. And the shocking part is that it's not even close. It's not even close. And that's the only thing. Now, if we want to ignore all of that and say, listen, this is a new world. This is how we live. This is how it's played. And LeBron James is the best player, and he's the king sitting on top of the mountain in this new normal, and that's how you want to live and keep it that way, then so be it. But if you're going to compare it and put some context and see the dominance of how that player dominated in their perspective eras, I'm not trying to blend LeBron into the 80s and 90s, and I'm not trying to bring Jordan to the modern day. I'm just trying to say, comparatively, Comparatively speaking, against their contemporaries, that's how they fared against them. And Jordan, to me, is clear cut the GOAT. And there's just no room for discussion for LeBron. But do I put LeBron on Mount Rushmore? Sure. Is he top five? Sure. And we can have a totally different debate that's dedicated to this and the GOAT argument on another episode, but I did want to shed some light on it because it was surprising in seeing all of the things that Jordan contributed to the game and then uh, to compare it to the who we perceive as the GOAT today and LeBron James and the differences between all that and all that shit that goes on in between. So I did find it very interesting. No, definitely, definitely. And I mean LeBron's gonna lose that for now. Like we spoke about it before. If he can win if he can win a title in LA, 
and be like the first guy to really, you know, to, to, to win three titles for three different teams, you know, and get the MVP and all this in every series, you know, that, that's something that would be really unique and cool. That could, you know, maybe raise his level, you know, it, it would, it, it would be, it would be the, the only part in the, and, and the last part, and this is my final point is that LeBron James is accumulating a lot of stats and he's becoming durable, but I'm just a little exhausted with the conversation that's saying, oh, LeBron's not a scorer. He's a passer. Okay. Or LeBron can score 50 points a night if he really put his effort into it. Or, you know, all these, if LeBron, if this, if that. But the truth of the matter is that LeBron led the league in scoring one time. LeBron has never led this league in assists. He's never led the league in steals. He's never led the league in any other statistical category except his durability, which, yeah, that is a point. Um, Meanwhile, with Jordan, Jordan did lead the league in steals three times, actually, and he led the league in points 10 times, and he was defensive player of the year. So the thing is, basketball, to me, is more than just offense and is more than just tooting your own horn. It's about both sides of the floor. And we do have to pay attention to the defensive side because if you look at the gap between LeBron and Jordan, the greatest gap between them is their defensive tenacity. And to just kind of leave that on the wayside is doing an injustice to Jordan and the effort and the commitment that he put into the game of basketball that went beyond the offensive game. I mean, I just wanted to say that, you know, LeBron's game being a lot more like a Swiss Army knife and kind of just doing what the team needs might have cost him some of those, you know, numbers of, you know, what we'll call being in bold black ink. Because when you look at a player reference chart, the bold black is when they led the league in that particular category. Yep. So, you know, because I think if he maybe just set out to lead the league in assists, he probably would have done it one year. But, you know, because sometimes he becomes facilitator, then he's like, all right, now I know I need to score, you know, this entire quarter. So I mean, I think he he definitely used the sum of his parts better, you know, you know he you know and 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 blended in with his with the, with the team that he had, you know, because I mean he got you know he got a lot out of guys like J.R. Smith and stuff like that, but you know he has to defer to Jordan for now. I will agree with yeah. you on that. Yeah. So in closing out, this was a great episode. I thank everyone for listening to the episode today. And please continue to tune in. Jose and I will bring you the most up-to-date stuff when it comes to sports, what's going on. We hope that we get out of this quarantine pretty soon. Jose, any last words you want to leave with the public? We're going to keep doing these. We're going to keep having fun and everybody be safe. All right, everyone. Peace out.